Come on in. The listening is fine. The Carolina Outdoors is now in session. Your host, Wes Lawson and Bill Barty of the Carolina Outdoors. And Wes, we are enraptured by our author and upcoming mm-hmm. guest at Jesse Brown's Ryder Knowlton. Um, from blinding blizzards, aggressive grizzlies, and man-eating crocodiles, Ryder Knowlton's pulling his readers into the wilderness guide's wild adventures and the tales that resulted. You know, Ryder, over the break there, we were talking about um, sort of the guide experience. And I think, you know, between you, me, and Bill, we've all <laughs> had some some guides who have been truly life-changing and others who were— um, much less so. Maybe it was a day on the water or a day in the stand, and it just didn't quite cut the mustard. When you try to source a guide or book a guide, what is it that you're looking for in that relationship? How do you settle on this person who you're going to trust uh, to take you on this adventure? How do you how do you find that person? Well, you know, it probably falls into two categories. I, I would tell you that the vast majority. Um, you know, 80% of, of what I do is all going to come from um, uh, recommendations through trusted sources. And so I, I probably cut out 90% of that sure. just by that step. But there are, you know, there are a handful of times, there, there's definitely probably 20% of the time that I, you know, that I'm doing my own research. And, um, uh, and yeah, I've got some, I've got a, some trips this summer, for example, that I'm doing that. And, you know, it's funny when I, when I'm doing my own research, I'm looking for guides that are not talking about the game. You know, what I, like, mm. for example, if I, you know, if I'm go, trying to book a fly fishing trip, I, I get a little worried about somebody that, that immediately starts talking about how big the fish, you know, are, or how many fish we're going to catch. You know, I want the person that's, you know, that says, well, it's a great environment and, 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 and this is the environment you're going to be fishing in. And yes, you're going to have the opportunity, but things are going to have to come in line. In other words, I don't want to say they downplay it, but they're, 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 they're under promising, not over promising. And, um, you know, I tend to, I tend to, I tend to kind of lean towards those folks that maybe get the experience more so than just checking a box on how big and how many. Um, I'm also intrigued with folks that are equally, and you can pull a lot from a website. You know, if you, you know, if I pull up a website and I see, you know, photos of, of the of the other environment around maybe it's other wildlife maybe it's pictures of birds maybe it's pictures of you know of of other species um just that you know it makes me feel like well maybe this person is at least they're into more than just you know this particular species of fish and so when i'm doing my own research i'm i'm really looking for those types of things i would tell you that the vast majority though of of my trips especially on the you know the hunting side and and as you read through the book there's i do a lot of um, uh, you know, mountain hunting, sheep hunting, and with those types of hunts, um, there are lots of tricks that I need to do, anyways, to manage costs. You know, you, you have certain certain um, you know limited funds, and so because of that, you know, I'm I'm constantly tracking things like, you know, uh, whether it's canceled hunts or or um, you know uh, new opportunities that folks are talking about. I, I try to stay pretty tuned into those circles of outfitters that are in the fishing and the hunting world. And so I really, most of my guides come through recommendations of folks that I, I trust a lot. And so I haven't had too many bad guides. But, you know, one of the one of the most fascinating sort of meaty sections of the guides, and I don't want to give away the whole book because it's available for people to purchase at Jesse Browns and jessebrowns.com, comes from you driving down the road in western North Carolina and stopping <laughs> because of a curios- curiosity yeah. you saw in yeah. a storefront, 
and the people involved, those stories are incredible. Talk just for a few minutes about that. You know, um, well, you know, we we, um, we we raised our family in, in Atlanta. We lived in Atlanta for 20 years. And if you live in Atlanta, you know, your, your fly fishing world is either North Georgia, which has got lots of great fly fishing, or also super accessible, of course, is far western North Carolina. You know, the, you know, the incredible rivers of the far western mountains of North Carolina, the Nantahala, the Tuckaseegee, Santilla, Snowbird, all that. We moved to Charlotte in 2015, and with that move, that kind of refocused my attention to the incredible fishing on the eastern side of North Carolina, you know, the river systems and the coast. So when we were, this was back when we were living in Atlanta, and most of my focus of fly fishing in North Carolina was the mountains of western North Carolina. And, and I just, I, you know, I, I love getting out there and just exploring. I, there have been, you know, a lot of times I'll go explore a river and I'll just watch water, or I'll read water, or I'll make notes. I, I don't even necessarily have to fish it for my first trip. I just want to kind of get my arms around it. And so I do a lot of those little just kind of, you know, recon, right, recon trips with a piece of water. And that, you know, and that's what I was doing. And, and I, you know, and I, I, I was driving along through, if really following the Tuckaseegee system that day and up in the Franklin area and saw this, this statue of an elk on the side of the road, which caught my eye. Um, but what really caught my eye was behind the statue of the elk was this big barn. And in the barn was, you know, was a big pane glass. And behind the glass was a full body mount of a bongo. And a bongo is an unusual, you know, not everybody knows what a bongo is, I guess. It's a, you know, it's a spiral, one of the spiral antelope of Africa, and it's specific to central, the jungles really of central Africa. Very, very challenging animal to hunt. And, and I, I noticed that, and I said, well, gosh, you know, who, there's got to be something here. You know, uh, the elk statue I get, but who in the world's got a full body mount of a bongo in a barn in western North Carolina? And sure enough, it ended up being the taxidermy studio of Bill Fuchs. And... So I walked up and just knocked on the door, and this was years ago. Um, Bill and I became fast friends uh, right off the bat. Uh, Bill, unfortunately, passed away in the final production of the book, um, but he was a fundamental part of it. The book's actually dedicated to Bill, but um, uh, I, that was an unbelievably lucky stop for me because Bill, um, you know, Bill provided uh, you know, a decade of incredible insightful stories about his family being one of the first families to settle the Everglades and just what life was like, you know, back in the days when, you know, ants and mosquitoes would shut down colonies in the Everglades. And his family was back in the middle of all that. And fascinating stories and, and a wonderful friendship and, and a, very, um, a very important part of creating the book were my years of sitting around that taxidermy studio in Franklin, North Carolina, talking to Bill Fuchs. I'll, I'll treasure those discussions forever. Well, you know, he, his family, part of those, those uh, what people would refer to as the, the crackers, really getting into the, the, the central part of Florida in the Everglades. Um, yep. Almost, yeah, no, almost it, all it, characters from a Peter Matheson book. I mean, they are just fascinating folks who have to soak their, the legs of their furniture in kerosene and gasoline to keep the ants and termites from coming in. But, of course, he grew up in a family of botanists, so they were finding rare orchids in jungles all over the world and he comes you know goes on to be one of the most influential um perhaps american big game hunters and taxidermists at least of his generation 
Oh, it's a fascinating story. He, you know, his family, of course, they settled the Everglades. And, you know, his grandfather lived with the Seminoles. You know, his, his grandfather was more comfortable living out in the Everglades with the Seminoles than living back in Homestead or living over in Miami. And so, they, you know, this, this family truly comes from the bush. And in those days, South Florida was the Wild West times 10. And um, there was not a lot of law you know, in deep South Florida back in the turn of the century in the, you know, 20s and so forth. And and so um, it really is a fascinating family. And, and their business, as they then, you know, as the generations continued and then you get into Bill's father's generation, their family business, just as you said, you're exactly right, they they ran a, a, a nursery in Homestead. And their specialty was orchids. As a matter of fact, Bill's brother today is arguably the most famous um, – a grow of orchids in the world. The Fuchs orchid is, you know, one of the most prized possessions you can have if you collect, you know, special flowers. And and they um, and so they grew up following their father through really some of the lesser chartered river systems of Central and South America, and um, looking for new species of orchid. And what they what they realized, what Bill is, a, you know, this in these days, Bill was a you know a young kid. And so his adventures on those trips are just incredible. I mean, it's everything from, you know, going out and, and his, his early days of going out and, and hunting with the local tribes in the jungles of Central and South America, literally um, meeting some of the tribes that, that um, were practicing the, you know, shrinking heads. I remember Bill told me about a time that he was offered a trade for three shrunken heads, and to this day, um, you know, uh, he still regretted not making that trade. He didn't have anything to trade, and he he regretted it his whole life not being able to 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 do that. Um, let alone the wildlife. You know, just his stories of going out and and um, you know snake hunting and critter hunting and tarantula hunting and all the things you do down in the jungle as a young kid, um, following you know your father as, he, as he's looking for special orchids. Fascinating stories from a time long you know from a different time and place. That um, I like I said I, I listened to his stories for ten years and I treasure every every one of those talks. That's one of the personalities and stories in The Guides, a collection of untamed stories. We've got the author, writer, Knowlton, on the Carolina Outdoors with Wes Lawson and Bill Barty. And writer, that collection of stories and adventures, outfitters, guides, personalities, of course, is there. And we have it on hand at Jesse Brown's, jessebrowns.com as well. But those adventures that they lead us on test our patience and make us humble, they allow us to celebrate, it gives us solitary time and time together, and a lot of accomplishments. But what about us? What about you um, and your story? Because uh, currently you're Senior Vice President of Office Leasing at Lincoln Harris here in town. Um, You moved with your family from Atlanta to Charlotte just a few short years ago, you are continuing to build your story and your adventures. You just returned from a, a fly fishing trip to Iceland that we'd love to hear about. But talk to us about um, these adventures and how they affect you in your everyday life, your family life, your professional life. What does being outdoors with these uh, esteemed people, uh, guides and outfitters, mean to Ryder Knowlton? You know, um, I think I, it, 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 without question, you know, it's 
to me, it, it allows a very enriched life. And, and I think, you know, for, for a couple of reasons, I think just, you know, being connected to the outdoors, I, I think, makes you a little bit more aware, maybe a little bit more awake. You know, you kind of go, I know for myself, you know, I, I, it, one, of the, one of the activities I love to do outside, and, and I, do it all, I do it on every trip I do, is bird watch and, and track species of birds. And, and, you know, birding is hunting. And, and so, you know, just that, I think it's just that connection to the outdoors. You know, as I'm driving home, we, you know, we live in a, in south of Charlotte down in Waxhaw. And so every day as I'm driving down through the, you know, the, the, the still, the few undeveloped fields around Waxhaw now, you know, I'm looking for deer in the corners of fields. I'm looking for birds on lines. I just, I, 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 I almost spend every day kind of just, you know, uh, even if I'm heading to work and driving home from work, I'm always looking and just trying to connect with the nature around me. So for me, the sporting lifestyle, I think, has made my day-to-day engagement, you know, with just the world around me a little bit more aware and a little bit more awake. Um, I would tell you that, you know, a lot of these these expeditions and these trips, you know, are planned so far in advance. I'm I'm definitely one of those people that loves the research as much as the, as the trip. So if I, you know, if I've got a trip coming up a year from now or 18 months from now, I, I will spend the next 12, 18 months just researching the heck out of it. And by the time I actually go, you know, I'm going to know as much about the environment and other species of animals and the people and all those things. So that to me, it's not just the the time you're out on the the trip itself, but I love the the 12 months before that you can really dive into and learn a new place and you know, a great example of that, you know, is Iceland. I just got back yesterday, actually, from Iceland, and we had um, uh, we had an amazing trip. You know, it's funny when you're we were um, fishing for uh, for uh, brown trout, and you know, and when you go to those northern areas, a lot of that really northern water fishes best when the conditions are terrible. You know, you want gray sky, blowing snow, sleet, high winds, you know, and the fish just tend to turn on. Well, we arrive, and, of course, it's blue skies, and, you know, all of our pictures have these gorgeous blue skies. And I wasn't sure what that was going to do to the fishing, and we got very lucky um, that the fishing was just epic. Man, we just had a, had a great trip, caught some amazing brown trout, um, and um, and had an incredible adventure. But I would tell you that... Um, that trip, for example, got postponed twice because of COVID. So there was three years in the making of that trip, and uh, it gave me plenty of time to research. And so in addition to the fishing, you know, we're, we're going and checking out certain waterfalls and, and geysers and going driving specifically to certain parts of the coast where there's particular species of birds, you know, and just experiencing much more than just the fishing. So I think to answer your question, it just, to me, it's just a, it's been a, it makes my life more enriched and maybe just a little bit more aware and awake. So, Ryder Knowlton, writing a book is like having a child. After the first one, people <laughs> automatically ask, when's the next one coming out? Is there yeah. a second book in the works? Well, the, the first one took me 12 years. You know, it's, um, I, I, in, I, it's, you know, in hindsight, I think about my, my interview style, which is hanging out around campfires, is probably not as productive as it would have been if I just sat down and interviewed people. Um, but um, the answer is yes. No, I, I absolutely uh, have a next guides book, um, you know, in my head. 
um, and I uh, uh, and I'm kind of starting putting those pieces together. I've, matter of fact, I've got some trips coming up in the next couple of years that I think will probably be tied to to that next book. But I think it might be a few years out. I think this the process itself. I'm I'm very careful, and I and again my my relationship every every one of these guides in the book is a friend, and and there's a lot of trust. And so I I don't try to rush it. You know, I want the stories to evolve. I don't want them to be forced, and that process just takes time. And and so it'll. I definitely have the next one in mind, but it might be a few years because it'll be a process for the stories to come out naturally. Well, part of our theme at Jesse Brown's with Storytellers Night at Jesse Brown's that you're a part of is that we all have a story to tell. Now, you've told several people's stories in your book, The Guides, a collection of untamed stories, but we look forward to hearing you um, be on hand that May 25th night starting at 6 o'clock as you break down your 20-minute story of The Guides. Writer Knowlton, and Writer, just to be clear, we'll be able to buy the book and have you sign it there that night as well. Oh, absolutely. Yep. No, I think uh, I think we'll have books on hand, and I'll be there to answer questions and sign books and whatever it is you guys would like. Well, everyone is invited, and Ryder, we really appreciate your book, and we appreciate the time that you took to be on the Carolina Outdoors. Guys, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. There goes Ryder Knowlton and Wes Lawson and Bill Barty. We're going to come back on the other side and wrap this thing up. Let's do it, Bill. Right after this. <laughs> 